I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 37. We are here, and I'm really excited for my story. Are you? Okay. So, while Carrie was gone living her best life in the mountains, your girl, I had lofty goals, and I achieved one of them. Like, half of one of them. <laughs> and on the very last day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, I did listen to some damn podcasts. I want to tell you about three. One, Lacey Kate, she had told us about the horrors of Dolores Roach in the group. Mm-hmm. And I finished it. And if you like, I hate to say theatrical, but like theatrical things, it's like an ensemble. Mm-hmm. It's good. But I didn't know what it was about. But, I mean, I finished it. And I, like, listened to it in a day. Well, a day and a half. It was very interesting. But, I, again, you have to like ensembles. Ensembles. Okay. Whatever. And why does her last name have to be the R word? Because <laughs> it took me a long time. I mean, she suggested this a while back. But that R word was yeah. standing in my way. But it was good. Helen Gone podcast. This is my new fucking jam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm up to date on it. Only has a few episodes, but it's about an Arkansas crime. It was a 2004 murder of a 22-year-old college student. Mm-hmm. Her name is Rebecca Gould. Gould. <laughs> Gould. I love Gould. <laughs> what you know about Gould? Yeah. If y'all watch. Well, Shaw's of Yeah. Yeah. We were so obsessed with that that Carrie bought it as a ringtone. No, I didn't, no, I didn't buy the ringtone. I bought the song. Oh, the song. The song. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. Every time it's like randomly comes on in her thing, we jam out to it. Uh, yeah. 99 cents ain't going to waste. <laughs> but anyway, Helen Gone. It is so good. Like, honestly. Can you spell it? Are you saying hell and gone? Yeah. Okay. And I was like, or... Helen, as in, like, Helen Hunt. What do you say? Oh, no. Sorry. Hell Hell and and gone. Okay. So good. And I told my coworker, who lives in Arkansas, about it. And uh, he, of course, is a guy. So he liked how she sounded. Mm -hmm. So he looked her up, and he was like, she's hot. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. He was like, I mean, it's good, too. Like, it's interesting. But she's hot. Oh, God. I'm like, of course. You're such a guy. But meanwhile, I'm the same way with Peyton Lindsay. Mm-mm-mm. I mean. <laughs> so, okay. And then another one. And it was a it was a series on Oxygen, but it's called Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers. And it takes place in rural, said it, mm-hmm. Mississippi. Oh. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those that I binged, like, nonstop. I never heard of the town. I can't remember it now, but I never heard of that town. So. Awesome. True crime, you got it. If you have some good paranormal ones, lay it on me. I don't want fictional Besides Ghost in the Burbs, that's yeah. the only one I, like, love. But your girl needs some paranormal ones. 
We also have a Patreoner to shout out that has joined the Creepinati. Hello! Aaron M., thank you so much for being part of the Creepinati. Yes. Um, you're awesome, and welcome to the fam. Yes. Yes. That's that's just me on a record. Yeah. On a record. Donna's really not here today. I just go, <laughs> play. Yes. Play. Yes. Play. Yes. Picture it. Picture it. Yes. <laughs> Inappropriate cum joke. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> JK, it's always appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So, now that I told you all about the podcast that I listened to, now here's a podcast that you tuned into. (laughs) A Paranormal Chicks. Donna, Carrie. Hey, y'all. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And now she's the one that's not here. Yeah. Carrie stepped out to the bathroom. (laughs) True story. (laughs) Okay. Today, I'm doing a love story. Oh, fuck. Watching these Christmas shows got me up in the feels. So here we are. We're going to talk about love. Well, it's a ghost story, so maybe they all die. (laughs) (laughs) Savage. Just kidding. (laughs) Sort of. <laughs> I'm just kidding because it's not socially accepted to be anti-love. <laughs> when people are like, I love love. I'm like, I don't. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> like physically uncomfortable. You're so funny. Okay. So like any good love story, you got to start at the beginning. So I'm going to start with the guy first, go through his Life story. Mm-hmm. Until the point he meets the love of his life. Their little meet cute. Yep. All right. Zach Bowens. He was a nice guy. Decent. He was average. Not great. Not bad. Just average. Mm-hmm. About a five, a six. Mm-hmm. Okay. The only thing not average about him was his height. He was 6'10". Oh! <gasps> Almost 6'11". Cool. He's mm-hmm. tall, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, like, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you could be like a Harlem Globetrotter with those legs. <laughs> so he was easygoing, made friends easily. So he wasn't a loner type. He just wasn't mm-hmm. Mr. Popular. Mm-hmm. But he was like in every group. Well, he probably... Never mind. Wait. This is such a cheesy joke. But I was like, they all probably thought he was coming to talk to him when he was just ducking in, going into <laughs> doors. <laughs> like, they all thought he was, like, bending down to talk to him. He's like, no, nah, I'm just trying not to hit my head. <laughs> Growing up, his parents divorced. And at some point, he decided to go move and stay with his father. Then when Zach was in 12th grade... His father was like, you know what? New Orleans would be the place for us. So he takes him to New Orleans. Soon after, like around 18, Zach drops out of high school. What? You're so close. I know. So he's 18. What's there to do? He gets a job on Bourbon Street selling go cups. Okay. Which is... To go cups for the rest yeah, of the world. Yeah. They're called go cups in Louisiana. <laughs> so, doing this, he meets a 28-year-old exotic dancer 
named Lena Shupak. He invited her inside and was like, Jaeger shots. And she was like, yes. So she wasn't a dancer locally. She it was from Texas, but on a girl's trip to NOLA, okay. which is New Orleans, Louisiana. I'll just say NOLA from now on, probably, because that's what I wrote because it was easier. Okay. She thought he was 21 because, you know, he's selling alcohol and yeah. whatnot, and he's fucking tall. Yeah. But he wasn't. He was 18. So, surprise. And she's like, oh, fuck. But he's really tall and really fucking hot. Like, to her, he mm-hmm. was fucking, like, she said he looked like a Greek god. No. I mean, everyone has. Uh, I was going to say. He wasn't unfortunate looking. He was, yeah. you know, again, he was average. Well, I was going to say, isn't that just... What does my dad say? Go shows to go you. <laughs> you know, somebody for everybody. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't the only surprise because soon after she found out she was pregnant. I thought you were going to say that his dick was as long as his legs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure because he wore like a size of like 17 fucking shoe. God. So Meanwhile, watch him have like a micro penis. <laughs> Not to, like, penis shame, but he might. I mean, it's <laughs> Not cool. to penis shame, but why is it in the wrong packaging? Yeah. <laughs> Zach doesn't want the baby. He thinks he's too young. Like, Lifetime movie, too young to be a dad. <laughs> Might have already watched that. Duh. Like, four times. He was angry with Lana for, quote, unquote, not taking care of it. He just, again, didn't think he was old enough, didn't think he was mature enough. He wrote to his mom and was like, I'm so sorry. But also, she was on the pill. It wasn't, yeah. you know, obviously it didn't work. Yeah. I don't understand why she wants to keep the baby and not be with someone older. Right. You know, and someone who's stable. Yeah. So, he felt stuck. Mm-hmm. However... After some on-again, off-again shit, they decided to get married. And surprise, they had another baby. I guess they didn't figure out how it works the first time. <laughs> you know, most people that are in a that kind of a relationship, that it's already a strained thing, mm-hmm. it's like, but a baby, that'll work. You know, every yeah. time. And it's like adding something, either a baby or a pet That's not going to help. Yeah. In fact, it just creates more stress. So now she's an ex-exotic dancer, and he needs to support the growing family. So he joins the army. He gets stationed in Germany, and then he, throughout the time, he rose to the rank of sergeant. He toured in Kosovo and Iraq. And with a lot of people, he seemed to change overseas. He was less happy. He wanted to come home. And this is mostly due to the losses he experienced over there. He was close with a local kid. He was teaching him English and everything. And he was killed by insurgents. Mm. He befriended a young little girl over there that he was also close with. And she was killed by insurgents as well. And then also a girl, I think her name's Rachel, She was in the army with him, and she was killed. And so, with all of that, he just, it, you know, broke him. 
He had racked up plenty of medals, including the NATO medal and the presidential unit citation. So he thought, okay, I'm going to be honorably discharged if I, if I leave, you know, whatever I can do. I've got all these awards. I'm a sergeant, you know, like he's done what he should. Mm -hmm. So he purposefully failed his physical fitness test. So it'd be like, you need to do 44 sit-ups mm-hmm. in two minutes, and he'd do, like, 42. Yeah. Well, this landed him in getting generally discharged. So that is basically disarn- dishonorably yeah. discharged. Uh, so this made him super bitter about the Army, and it, like, stains his reputation. Yeah, because why know? would you do that? I mean, yeah. So, he's back in New Orleans, goes back to doing what he does best, bartending. Shortly after going back, him and Lena split. Mm -hmm. So, he's single, looking to mingle. Zach is bringing his charm, bartending, at a place called Hogs. But also, I saw where it was called Buffas, too. So, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Who knows? This is where he meets Addie. She worked the morning shifts. He worked the night shifts. He saw her and was like, that's my boo. You know, she was like, ooh, I don't <laughs> want <Yola>. anything. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no. And he's a charmer again, yeah. you know, just charismatic. And eventually he like, because he stays over sometimes and will flirt with her, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. Eventually he wins her over. Her name is Adrienne Hall, but she goes by Addie. So that's what we're going to do. She is from Durham, North Carolina, and she had a rough past. She dropped out of high school and left home. She was molested as a young girl, and it was so severe that around her 13th birthday, she had to stay in the hospital due to a severe UTI from the... Yeah, from the abuse. Yeah. So, later, it was just, that's what she gravitated towards. So, she had really terrible abusive relationships from then on. There's one story of her walking in on one of her exes, masturbating to gay porn. She flips on him. Well, then he flips on her and breaks her shoulder. So her arm and her shoulder in a full cast, like, broke her shoulder over it. Okay, so she used to be a dance teacher in North Carolina, and then she traveled a few places and whatnot since, you know, she left early on. Mm -hmm. But in NOLA, she was, you know, Jill of all trades, most notably a bartender. Not a lot. It's known about her. She kind of kept her past close to herself, you know. Mm -hmm. But what we do know about her, she loved to drink, have fun. You know, she was like a bohemian. Yeah, kind of a free spirit. Yeah. Artistic, poet, that kind of person. But she was not always a pleasant drunk and would sometimes turn violent. And so that meant lots of bar fights. Okay. So picture it, 2005, they finally get together. They flirted, drank. They would leave little love notes to each other at the bar. (laughs) 
they were just having a great little romance. Then after only a few weeks into their relationship, shit got real. She got pregnant? No. Hurricane she- Katrina. Oh, duh. Hit fucking New Orleans. Yep. August 2005. So they decided to stay in. Right wait- out? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. And they stayed at Addie's apartment. So Zach and Addie, they became local, like, folk heroes because they stayed it out. Like, they were, the of the 20% that stayed, like, only 20% because, mm-hmm. hello, everything is flooding. Mm-hmm. But they were in the French Quarter, which did not flood all the way because it was higher. Yeah. But so when people were going, like news places, mm-hmm. uh, news places, news stations, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to film people. They would film them because they were always out, always, yeah. you know, it's a young couple. He's fucking Jolly Green Giant, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean. So anyway, everyone knew Zach and Addie. Okay. Okay. So it said they happily embraced survivalism during. This part, and they would fashion paper plates into flask waters. I'm like, um, uh, it's not so much of a fashioning, okay? You just swat, swat it. it. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, come at me when you're drowning in love bugs, like right? you were after Hurricane Katrina, <laughs> right? Oh my god, I, and mosquitoes. mosquitoes. I remember after Katrina, I God, I can't remember how many days it had been. Because I think we were we were without power for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. I remember like the mos- mosquito bites on my legs. I was like, okay, because mosquitoes love Donna and me. I mm-hmm. mean, if there is a mosquito within a hundred mile radius, it's going to find us. Mm-hmm. And I remember like counting the mosquito bites just on my legs, and I stopped counting at forty. Oh my god! It was like, okay, I'm done. And yeah. I, like I, how, no telling how many I actually. Yeah. Had. Oh, it was so bad. So bad. So during the day, they would clear the street where her apartment was on. They would clear it of trash and, like, all the fallen limbs. And they would use that to do campfires and stuff at night. So when they were finished doing their little kumbaya, mm -hmm, they would serve cocktails and stuff because, hello, they're bartenders. Mm -hmm. They're bartenders, so... You what know. they do. Yeah. And it's New Orleans. <laughs> yes. So at night, they would put up a little table and have some folding chairs, and they would feed people who were also waiting it out. Mm-hmm. But it was like dinners of canned beans and stuff. I mean, yeah. it's not yeah great food. And they would also, like, mattresses from places that had flooded and stuff, they would bring those and... Burn them and stuff for the campfires mm. and shit. Yeah. The ambiance. Can you imagine? Uh, the smell. <laughs> it said that in the early morning, when the French Quarter was completely quiet and still, Zach and Addie would make love right there in the middle of the street. Oh, God. <laughs> that is Carrie's, like, worst nightmare. That is so uncomfortable. <laughs> no one wants to see that shit. <laughs> They would bike down the French Quarter streets holding hands as they pedaled. Just in love. I don't need to hold your hand to be in love with you. (laughs) 
Let me hold on to my bike so I don't fucking fall off. <laughs> so Addie, she became really popular because she had a certain method to ensure that her street got better security. So like the police officers would make rounds more often. And she would do that by flashing them. Ew. <laughs> so the police would actually come by more often because they're seeing Ew. tits. Mm-hmm. I hate that word. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I mean, you got to do what you got to do. You got to be. Ew. You are so crazy. I'd do it. Hell, I basically did when I saw a fucking truck coming down. I was like, yes. When during Katrina, uh-huh. we were all outside because, you know, it's hot as fuck inside. <laughs> yeah, you got to be outside. And I saw a power truck Come like turned down, and I was like, "Yes!" Like got up, and they stopped there, and they were like, "We're not stopping here, but we will be back. I promise, we will be back." Because I mean, like they just told me that Santa Claus wasn't real. Because mm-hmm. I was like, no, "No, yeah." And they actually did come back that night. Oh, and we had power. You had power before, before we had power. Yeah, you were way out in the boonies too. Mm-hmm. And we had power before. My sister, who lived, you know, like up closer in the city. Uh huh. Anyway, but I was like, I don't, I would have flashed if I had something to flash. Mm-mm-mm. How my mom probably would have too. Mm-hmm. She probably was. That's probably why y'all got power. <laughs> she, pr- she didn't wear underwear. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably like, please, well, give we got to get her. Power. We got to get her inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Oh, <laughs> so they were thriving in this, you know, like they didn't want it to go back how it was because mm-hmm. they're the fucking king and queen of, of the French Quarter. Yeah. yeah. Addie had told reporters that we have been able to see the stars for the first time before this was a 24 hour lit city. Now it's so peaceful. Well, then move out to the country. <laughs> So, like, when they ran out of booze, they would go and frequent two French Quarter bars that remained open around the clock during this whole time. Because, Hiller, it's New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And that was Molly's at the Market on Decatur Street and Johnny White's Bar on Bourbon Street. Have you been to either of this? Not that I can. I mean, I'm sure the one on Bourbon Street, but. I, I don't recognize the name. I don't name. recognize the name. One night at Johnny White's, Zach and Addie began chatting with the bartender. His name is Greg Rogers, but known by everyone as Squirrel. Squirrel. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Squirrel is like. <laughs> I can't take that seriously. You can call me Possum. <laughs> So, Squirrel is like the match that ignites Allie and Zach's crazy fucking binging days. Because he's a drug dealer on the side. Oh, no. And he hooks him up with cocaine. No. Because they help him out with some rent money Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so, he's like, this is how I can pay you back. Here's a little bit. Who's collecting rent money? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I could be wrong, but I'm picturing this like... Days after Katrina. Yeah, I mean, this was like weeks. Okay, okay, okay. Through all of this, this is like weeks. But, so, they become addicted very quickly Mm -hmm. because, 
and that was their personalities too. Like, yeah. you know, loved hard, loved fast. Yes. Lived life on the edge. Real, like, mm-hmm. volatile. Yeah. So they're running on booze, coke, and wild emotions. You wrote that down? I did. But like all great things, it comes come to, to an, an end. end. In the aftermath of Katrina, their chaotic relationship began to surface. You know, the they were living in this fairy tale. Yeah. Well, everything was not as it should be. Right. You know? So they fought, they broke up, they fought, they broke up. It was one of those, you know, yeah. relationships where you're like, oh, you hate her today, you love her tomorrow. Right, right, right. And aside from the constant abuse of just of them, each other, not like physically, just Mm -hmm. emotionally, they were very destructive in their own lives. In 2006, Zach was arrested for marijuana possession and Addie was arrested for aggravated assault. She pulled a weapon on a man in the French Quarter to show like how like fucked up she was on drugs and stuff. So she pointed at him just randomly, it was just, she's coming home from work, and he's walking, you know. And yeah. so, she pulls a gun on him, and like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And he's, like, calling the cops. So, she's like, okay, runs home, takes off her clothes, because he's, like, describes her. Yeah. She takes off her clothes, puts on a nightgown, and when the cops come, she's like, oh, I've been in bed. And they're like, no, bitch. Here's all the shit, you know, whatever. But, like, she really, yeah, she really thought, like, I'm going to get one over on them. Yeah. But that's her state right now. So, they're falling apart. They get evicted from Addie's apartment. Soon, she has a different job that she bartends at, too. It's called the Spotted Cat. It's a jazz bar. Around this time, she just stopped showing up. On October 1st, they rented an apartment from Leo Watermeyer at 826 North Rampart Street. And it's above the Voodoo Spiritual Temple and Cultural Center. Right there. Relationship again, good. Mm-hmm. A few days later, they were fighting again. And this time it was over whose name was going to be on the lease. Zach wanted it to be both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, Addie pulls a fast one, and she gets to Leo first, and like, no, 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 put my name on the lease. Don't put Zach's on the lease, Hmm. because he's been cheating on me with a fucking guy, and like, so she just started telling everyone Zach's business, and what had he really? It's unconfirmed, but a couple of people, like Squirrel, yeah, (laughs) he said that he was bisexual, okay. Stuff like that. But I think, too, she kind of flipped out because of that other time that she had gotten beaten by her ex. Yes. Finding that. So, it's like. Right. What the fuck? You know? So, she's like, he, you know, again, telling all his business. And she's like, I'm going to kick him out in a little bit. Like, I'm going to put him on his ass, but I want the power to do that. Whatever. So, Leo's like, okay. Like, whatever. From that day, no one ever saw her again. (gasps) Fast forward to October 17th, and the police responded to a 911 call from the Omni Hotel. Fun mm. fact, that is where me and Tiffany stayed when we 
rang in the new year in New Orleans. So they got a call. They had a jumper. Oh. A man apparently leapt off the roof of the building and landed five stories down on the on the hotel's parking garage roof. <gasps> when the police arrived, they found Zach's body laying face up. His hips were twisted around <gasps> with blood pouring out from his head and his mouth, and he had died on impact. Oh, God. The investigators found a Ziploc bag in Zach's right front pocket, and it contained his dog tags and his full name and a tightly folded sheet of notebook paper that read, for police only. And this is what it said. This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the life I took. If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on the both of us and a full signed confession from myself. The keys in my right front pocket are for the gates. Callio to let you in, Zach. What? Yeah. So they're dispatched, obviously, to the apartment, and... They said what they walked into was out of a horror film. Zach had left the window air conditioning unit on full blast set set at 60 degrees. So your living room? Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds amazing. That sounds like your living room, legit. Yeah. No, no, no. Yours is set on 62. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not fucking. You're uh, not trying to chill uh, a dead body? <laughs> I'm not the uh, abominable snowman. I'm just shaped like him. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Tough ground. They found beer cans that had cigarettes all up in them. Like, it was just trashed, you know? Yeah. He had spray painted with silver metallic spray paint on the walls, and it would say, please call my wife. I love her. Talking about Lena. Yeah. I'm a total failure. Look in the oven. Then on the ceiling above their bed, there is a message that read, please help me stop the pain. Addie's head and hands were in pots on the stove, (gasps) burned beyond recognition. Her arms and legs were in a tray inside the oven. And on the outside of it, it had don't look spray painted on it. They had been cooked. Her torso was still in the refrigerator. He had dismembered her in the bathtub before deciding to, quote-unquote, separate the meat from the bone by cooking the body parts. Some reports even say that he had cut up carrots and potatoes and seasoned the body parts. I don't buy that. Earning him the nickname Katrina Cannibal. Though they found no signs of cannibalism and the autopsy discovered no human remains in his stomach, However, it was weeks. Or he could have done it to, like, try to feed it to an animal to make it Maybe. more appetizing. Maybe. But, like, how they're saying, oh, it wasn't in his stomach. I mean, right. he, he could have, yeah. This was weeks. How old were, like, the potatoes and carrots and stuff, too, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm you know just saying, but I'm saying But I'm saying, like, the potato and carrot thing, if that's pretty fresh, and then there True. wasn't something in his stomach... True. I mean, but if it's, like, clearly leftovers that have been sitting on the stove for three weeks, so maybe. Yeah. I don't think he would have done that. You know, I don't know, obviously. 
I think he literally had no idea what mm-hmm. he what to do. They found a diary from him printed on eight pages out of Addie's journal. And he just graphically detailed all of it. He started very formally. He gave his full name, social security number, and driver's license number, and his date of birth. He said, today is Monday, 16th, October. He wrote it like this, and sorry. Because from the freaking army, Yeah, I'm sure. But today is the 16th of October, 2 a.m. I killed her October the 5th, Thursday at 1 a.m. Sorry, he wrote it really weird. He said, I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. And I'm going to mention it now just because I couldn't find a good place to mention it. But he, his corpse, there were 28 burn marks on him from cigarettes. (gasps) And he wrote in this diary that each one was for a year of his life, 28 years of being a failure. Jeez. So, I mean, he was just... So depressed. Mm-hmm. One note read, halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first study and move to plan B, the crime scene you are now in, came after a while. I scared myself not only by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years, but by my entire lack of remorse. I've known forever how horrible of a person I am. Ask anyone. So he, in other notes, said that he sexually violated her body afterwards. And that he eventually passed out from being drunk next to the body on the futon. And the next day, he went to work and he had a second job. And it was Matassas Grocery. It's like a huge thing Mm -hmm. in... New Orleans, and so, like, everyone knew him from there. Everyone loved him, you know. He went, delivered groceries on his bike, like normal, came home, moved the body to the bathroom, and that's where he decided that he was going to use a handsaw and a knife to dismember her. And the autopsy conducted did confirm that he strangled her and then dismembered her. It wasn't, you know, during... Her life. So there's that. Well, that's good. Yeah. His final thoughts were that he was going to have one big blowout and then kill himself. So he had $1,500 to spend. And he had good food, good drugs, good strippers, good friends. And he tied up any loose ends. So he called Lena, got her to see, like, bring the kids for a little bit, you know, But he didn't tell her anything. He was like, I want you to come by later after this. And I want to see them for the holidays and all this stuff. Yeah. You know, but in his mind, he had seen them last time. Right. You know, whatever. Said his goodbyes. Mm Mm-hmm. But he, you know, bought drinks for everyone. Just all this. And he quoted, quote, and I'll have a fantastic time living out my days. Of, you know, however yeah. long that $1,500 would last him. Yeah. I didn't write it down, but he was talking to one of his friends and he kept talking about, I'm going to be in paradise soon. And they thought he was just going on a trip or something, you know, and he was kind of like anxious because 
hello. Yeah. And they're like, hey, don't worry about it. You're going to be in paradise. That's what you said. You know, he's like, yeah, "Yeah, you're right. You're right. And just how heartbreaking is that as a friend to know that. Yes. Like, oh, my gosh. That's what he was talking about. So this murder-suicide has gone down as one of the most grisly crimes in the history of the city. So it's known as the Rampart Street Murder House, and locals know what it is. But if you just saw it, you wouldn't have any idea what took place here. So there's different theories on why he killed her. Some say that he was influenced by a demonic presence from that voodoo Thing below. However, the voodoo priestess, she was super positive and she wasn't doing anything dark. She was more of a healer type, so no one really buys this. But of course, blame the fucking voodoo priestess. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Another one says that they victim blame Addie, saying because she was abusive too. But let's try not to victim blame. No one was innocent in this because they're it's a toxic relationship it was yes like i mean she's innocent in it but it's still it was toxic and they both needed help it was um, they both had their yeah they both had their demons and they did not get help for it and it just kept layering on top of shit Mm -hmm. and then the drugs and everything else just amplified it a lot of people say too just his time overseas and all of that he never got over the ptsd so they say that he felt like a failure because he couldn't keep those three people safe that he was super close to and then it just kept going on and on again i'm pretty sure like you said it was just a pressure cooker that everything it was like a perfect shit storm that came together okay so People who live in or near that house, they report different types of ghostly activity from the feeling of unseen eyes watching them in the darkness to phantom whispers and disembodied voices to like an overwhelming sense of just like dark, oppressive energy there. Ghost Adventures to the best of my knowledge, has not been there. So, Dibbic Douche, I got you, boot. But Paranormal Lockdown has. And Nick is from Ghost Adventures, but, like, he's no longer on there, I don't think. And it's Katrina from Paranormal State. So, they went there. And what's on the bottom floor now? Because that voodoo place, there is a fire set to it. (gasps) Or, you know, it had a fire. I don't know the whole logistics of that. But now, because their apartment was above it. Now there is a, like, haunted museum mm. that's there. And the name of the owner is Bloody Mary. Oh. <laughs> she Her name is, like, Mary Millen or something. But she goes by Bloody Mary, and she is a voodoo priestess as well. So, Nick and Katrina, for Paranormal Lockdown, they go to visit this place. And they're, like, the first team ever to really, really study this. And they're going to spend 72 hours locked down in this. So, they spend the night there. They met with Bloody Mary at first. And she gives them a tour of the house. 
And she said that spirits, you can hear them walk up the stairs, hands come out of the door in the front uh, uh, uh. Uh, room. Yeah. Black shadows seem to fly towards you and then go up to the attic. People are said to get sick and feel numb in there. I will tell you why you feel sick. The refrigerator, the bathtub, and the oven are all still like the original <gasps> ones. They cleaned them up so it doesn't have like the writing all over it. But yeah. What mm-hmm. the yeah. fuck? Mm-hmm. And people have lived there. What the fuck? Yes. How is that not like a freaking health hazard? So what they said on after the lockdown is that Bloody Mary was talking to him and saying that after this happened, like, why didn't they just get rid of the shit is because of Katrina. So many people were on like a wait list to get stuff. And Leo, I think the owner was just cheap. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, I'm going to wait and get replacements or whatever from that. And it just never, I mean, people are still waiting on shit, they say, when this occurred. And I don't remember what year. But you know what I mean? So, I don't know. It was. It's one of those, like, that fell through the fucking mm-hmm. loophole and nasty. That's what that is. No one lives there now. Mm-hmm. But people have lived there since then. So, like, they cooked Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-mm. Took a shower where she was dismembered. Because there are only one bathroom. Like, it's crazy. Okay. I feel like, sorry, I feel like I could do the shower thing more than I could do the oven in the refrigerator. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because her body was up in there. But still, the shower would be bad for me. Because, I mean, just a, for me, thinking about the energy, like him yes. having to do that and just... So, Mary, I'm just going to start calling her Mary because I don't want to test my fate here. But she said that people who visit the museum, they will bring gifts, especially for Zach and Addie. And it'll be liquor or food or money or cigarettes because it's things that they enjoyed Mm -hmm. in life. And what she does, all the money goes to the New Orleans Justice Center to stop domestic violence. Because she was That's like, good. this is a domestic violence issue. Yeah. With that. so Because she's got a lot of flack for having this because it's part of her museum. Mm. Is that. And so they're saying you're, you know, profiting from this. But isn't that every single Everything. thing that we do? Yes. I mean, every single haunted mansion, haunted tour, mm-hmm. haunted cemetery, haunted whatever. Yeah. Is from somebody's tragedy that we're saying is haunted. Right. And we're profiting from it. I think their issue is that it was, you know, like. Not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because. So this was in 2015 that they did it. Because they. Nope. 2016. Because they were there on the 10th anniversary. Yeah. Of it. Which is crazy. Like Katrina was 13 years ago. And even Katrina, the, not the, the hurricane, person. but the person, she was like, it's so crazy because normally when we stay in places that have this tragic past, it's 
you know, like a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. if not more. So it's history. Right. This is current. Fresh, yeah. Okay. Well, I will say this. So Jonathan Bailey said he, his girlfriend and two friends booked the Bloody Mary tour and they were shocked when he realized that they're in this place because she's talking about Addie and Zach. Then they realized, oh shit, we're standing yeah. in their fucking apartment where yeah. this happened. He said that besides the the appliances still being there, how I said, mm-hmm. it he was really disturbed because she put in a bride and groom Chucky doll. What? Mm-hmm. There. And she said that's to harness their, like, spirits or uh-huh. some shit. And the tour guide explained that when you take pictures of them and stuff, there's usually orbs around them. And that's their spirits. And so they were like, this is so wrong. You know, like, to yeah. have that. Yeah. I don't love that. Yeah. I was like, ooh. But I would say that if it was, you know, this one that happened 13 years ago or 12 yeah. years ago or one that happened 100 years ago. Yeah. Putting those dolls there. I'd be like, oh, for sure. That ain't right. I don't like that. That ain't right on any mm-hmm. part. I don't like that. Mm-mm. So they spoke with a man who had lived there before Addie and Zach. And he said that he had seen a ghost of a little boy. And before he moved in, his family, who have been generations and generations in New Orleans, were like, do not move in there. And he's like, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, they used to torture slaves in that. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so when he moved in, he saw this little boy. Yeah. And so he was probably a slave. So, Or was he really a little boy? You know what I mean? Like, true. True, Dad. But he's not, it doesn't seem malevolent in this place. Hmm. We what? say when we're talking about a story about a guy who just <laughs> suddenly killed his girlfriend. But okay. True, true. So, on their walkthrough, I'm just going to kind of talk about it. When they go into their bedroom, Nick said that he feels like he's walking in quicksand. He, you know, just is so heavy. Mm-hmm. And, just, oh, could you imagine that? Mm-hmm. Katrina said that she felt like she was getting punched in the chest. It was just really painful and heavy. Mm-hmm. And when they went into the kitchen, like right by the stove, she was like, it's so painful. And then she learned that that's the original stove. And she's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. You know? And she also, like, could not go into the bathroom when she turned. Because it was kind of close. The Yeah. Like, you could be in the kitchen in the middle between them. You know? Like, you could yes. be there and there's kitchen and bathroom. And she was like, I can't go in. It's so heavy that, like, I physically cannot go in right now. So, they were using one of the voice box things i forgot to write down the like model number you know like their little thing Mm -hmm. and it's in the bathroom and they ask who's with them and it answers the kid so they're like who's the child you don't have to be scared what happened to you and then it responded he's here and about that time nick hears something downstairs they go downstairs and it's Empty. She has not moved in to do the museum yet. So they can't find anything for that noise that he heard when all that happened. Later, they're doing more upstairs. And their cameraman, Rob, was like, is that window up there open? And they're like, no. And he was like, I just felt a really strong, cold breeze. 
and no one else felt it. But when they're like, no, and they're talking, Nick hears another sound downstairs, runs, cannot find anyone or anything again. They sleep. Day two starts, and he's asking about the little boy spirit again. And the voice box says he was a slave. Then they ask, like, where should they go in the building? And it said bathroom. Katrina asks who's still in the apartment, and it says you're not alone. And then it said strangled to death, like, two times. Mm. In the attic, so it's, like, all open. Yeah. You know, the rafters, basically. They hear, like, a loud, like, clattering sound, like something fell. And they were like, it sounds like someone's throwing something or rocks or something. So Nick got up in a a ladder, got up there and saw that there are actually some stones up there. But they couldn't find anything down on the ground. Yeah. But Katrina felt something hit her shoulder, but couldn't find anything. Hmm. And so it's just weird that, like, there's actually stones up there. Yeah. But nothing's actually on the ground. Yeah. So later on, Nick is asking about who's throwing the rocks. And the voice box said Zach. To the camera, Nick is like, is this the spirit of Zach? Or is it the little boy telling us, like, what had happened? Mm -hmm. You know? Then Katrina was in the kitchen area close to the bathroom where she, you know, was having that pressure. And she was like, I hate this spot. And she doesn't have the recorder by her. It's still, like, mm-hmm. more in the bathroom. And you hear same come out of it. Then another time they're looking for thrown stones again because it just keeps happening. And a voice comes through and says, I hate myself. And then please don't hurt her. And so they say, like, that seems like Zach and Addie mm-hmm. on that just with, like, I hate myself. Right. And then the please don't hurt her. Then they said, well, it could be Zach and that little boy ghost. Mm-hmm. Because Bloody Mary said that she feels like the boy ghost was there this whole time. Yeah. And he witnessed that. And he's like, please don't hurt her. Yeah. So they close out the episode by doing a peaceful cleansing r- ritual with Bloody Mary and trying to help them pass on or at least just be, like, in a more restful state. She don't want them to pass on. Exactly. I'm like, mm, is this really true because you're... Taking like, her money. Yeah. So, that is that love story. But also, I want to say that I got a lot of info from Shake the Devil Off. And it's a book written by Ethan Brown. And so it had a lot of insights because there's not a whole lot about this other than like some news articles that really all these people covered them being this awesome couple that, Mm -hmm. you know, were went through Katrina. And then it's like, oh, fuck, he killed her like months after. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so I'm doing Charles Frederick Albright. So, he was born August 10th. So, he's, what are you, Leo? Mm-hmm. He's you, but 1933. He was born in Amarillo, Texas, and he was adopted from an orphanage by Dell and Fred Albright. His adopted mother was super strict. She was a school teacher, 
And she's very protective of him and wanted him to be super smart. So she, like, accelerated his education in order to help him skip grades. Ooh. But she also physically abused him. Oh, fuck. He would get spankings for insignificant things. Like, one time he just spilled some milk and she spanked him. You were never spanked as a child, right? Only once by my dad. Oh, I was spanked all the time. Not as much as my older sisters, because by the time they got to me, they were exhausted, but I got spanked a lot. But never for freaking spilling milk. I mean, unless you were being an asshole and they had told you, like, yeah. stop doing something. And then you were like, <laughs> and then did it? Yeah, you'll get spanked. But it's not because you spilled the milk. It's because you spilled the milk because you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah. So, so had you listened he, to them from the, you know what I mean? So she made him cry over spilt milk. I'm just saying. I knew you were going there. But sometimes, like, if he refused to take a nap, she would tie him to his bed. Oh, my gosh. But, like, okay, so one time when he was around a year old, he chewed on her tape measure. And so she locked him in a dark room and just made him sit there in the dark. Oh, my gosh. As a one-year-old. When he was 13, he had already started to kind of dabble in petty crimes, such as being a thief. He was arrested for aggravated assault. Mm. When he was a teenager, he got his first gun, and he would, well, he would go hunting with it. But some stuff said, like, oh, he killed small animals for fun. But I think it's all on how you frame it. Like, yeah, was he going hunting? Because that is, a, like, a, a sport for people, and that is yeah. fun, but... Or was he like, I'm going to kill a cat? Right. You know, but his mom helped him get into taxidermy. And so he would have all these animals like stuffed around the house. Oh, God. But but with the taxidermy, his mom wouldn't buy the expensive glass eyeballs for the animals. Oh, God. And so they would have to use like black marbles or they would just sew buttons. Oh, my for the God. Eyes. So, creepy. Oh, at least it wasn't those googly eyes. True, true. This kid didn't stand a chance. I got a lot of this information from a forensic files, which I, how, how I have never seen this one. Well, let me tell you why I've never seen this one. Because when I went to look it up on Netflix, it was it's season 15 and Netflix only goes up to nine. So, uh. now I've seen like one through nine <laughs> on repeat. But yeah. But I thought I had seen every forensic files, but I guess I hadn't. Anyway, and then, you know, a couple of websites and stuff I got it from. But there wasn't even the Wikipedia page and the Murderpedia page barely had anything on this. But the reason why I said that about the forensics files was because in the episode they showed, like, you know how they do that, like, B footage. Yeah. uh, Or bat roll, whatever the The hell it is. Yeah. It showed, like, taxidermy animals with, like, buttons (laughs) instead of eyes. I'm pretty sure those weren't his, but he graduated from high school when he was 15 because, remember, his mom had yeah helped him, you know, skip grades. He started going to North Texas University, and he originally said that he wanted to be a physician and, well, a surgeon, too. And so he started taking pre-med courses, but failed out. Oh, shit. When he was 16, he was caught with some petty cash that he had stolen, a rifle, and two handguns, and he spent a year in jail. When he got out of jail, he went to Arkansas State Teachers College and majored in pre-med studies. 
But he was then, determined. He was. But then they found him with some more things that he had stolen. So instead of prosecuting him, they just expelled him from school. So instead of actually finishing college because he kept filling out and getting expelled and yada, 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 he stole some documents, forged a couple of signatures, and gave himself a bachelor's and a master's degree. Oh, wow. Yeah. He ended up marrying a girl that he met in college that was like his college girlfriend. Did he actually marry her or Mm -hmm. did he just write up some documents? No, he actually married her. Okay. They did have a daughter. That wife was a teacher. But just like that whole time they were married, he was doing all kinds of shit, like forging checks. He was a teacher, too, at the time and was busted, like, forging the checks and all. And so he was placed on probation. Um, And then in 1965, him and his wife separated and then ended up getting divorced nine years later. It's a long. Wow. Long separation. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the motherfuckers I find on... Plenty of fish. Mm-hmm. Then he was sentenced to two years in prison because he was stealing hundreds of dollars of merchandise from hardware stores and or from a hardware store. And he ended up only serving less than six months before he got out. <laughs> While he was visiting some friends in 1981, he sexually assaulted their 14-year-old daughter. <gasps> no. He was prosecuted, he pled guilty, and he only received probation. What? He said later, like, that he didn't do it, that he was really innocent, but he didn't want to go through the, quote, hassle. Uh, skirt. So he pled guilty. I mean, he must have knew what he was doing because he only got fucking probation. I know. So in 1985, he met a woman named Dixie while he was living in Arkansas still, and He told her, like, hey, come live with me, you know, love, great, wonderful. Well, (laughs) he was delivering newspapers, and she's living with him and basically paying all the bills and supporting him. Oh, whoa. And he used his newspaper route, like, really, really early in the morning in order to... Scout out? Go visit sex workers. (gasps) Oh. Yeah. Well, better than scouting out, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. On December 13th, 1990, Mary Lou Pratt, she was 33, she was a sex worker from the Oak Cliff neighborhood in Dallas. Dallas? Mm Mm-hmm. Mary Lou was found dead. She was, when she was found dead, she was nude, basically from the waist down. She did have on, I know, she did have on a bra and a t-shirt. She had been shot in the back of the head with a forty-four caliber gun. And had been severely beaten. Oh, my gosh. So, the one thing about this Oak Cliff area where Mary Lou was a sex worker was this area was, there were a lot of sex workers. But these were women, and I'm sure men, too, that were addicted to crack. Oh, and so they were what they said, oh, God, how did they word it? They would do what they said were... Like $25 flatbacks, which meant that basically they would do missionary style, like with a guy mm-hmm. for $25. Wow. And so, like, they would have sex for the money, go get their drugs until they, you know, get high. And then when they would come down and they needed more, they'd do it again. Wow. And so, these weren't like, you know, these high price right. call girls. 
So, again, given that this area was high crime, sex workers and drugs and yada, yeah. yada, yada, they just thought that Mary Louise Pratt, her death was, like, drug-related. Right. You know, drug deal gone wrong, that kind of thing. Or that a John had killed her. Right. That sort of thing. So, when they get her back to do the autopsy, they're going about their biz, doing the autopsy, and... The coroner, or medical examiner, I guess, not the coroner. Anyway, the medical examiner is just, like, checking everything and goes to look at the color of her eyes, and they had been surgically removed. <gasps> no. Mm-hmm. With, like, like surgical precision. Like, they said that it was so perfect that you could not even tell that her like they did not know her eyeballs were missing until they opened them up to see the color of her eyes oh my because gosh. it was so perfectly closed holy shit so they were like holy shit can you imagine no like no absolutely like, did, did not you, did, oh, what yeah so they said that oh god what did they say on the forensic files that the medical examiner was like Okay, when she, I mean, or like oh, or like one of those yeah. like oh kind of things. So a couple of months later, in February of ninety one, because that was December of ninety, Susan Beth Peterson, she was twenty seven, a sex worker, was found on the same street that Mary Pratt's body was found. Oh fuck! Again, this is like just outside the Dallas city limits. Same thing. She was basically nude. She had been shot. Three times, the top of her head, her left breast, and the back of her head. And when the medical examiner was doing her autopsy, they found that her eyes had been removed as well. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, we've got two women who are roughly the same age. They're both white women, and they both had long brown hair. And we don't know their eye color. They were... (laughs) They were both kind of plus size, like not like my kind of plus size. They were just like poof, plus. <laughs> they just had a little extra. Just a little inflated. Yeah, they just had a little extra, extra love to give. Mm-hmm. And they both are missing their eyeballs. So they're like, okay, we clearly have some sort of serial killer on our hands. Like these are all of the things that they have in common. Yeah. And so they pull in the FBI and they're like, okay, like we've got a serial killer on our hands. Profiling was kind of coming, you know. I do not need anyone to target plus-size people, okay? <laughs> and fuck with the eyes. That's like that, your personal hell. Yeah, that, no. That may or may not be why I chose this story. You motherfucker. The eyeball thing. You motherfucker. So the FBI comes in, and they're like, okay, based on where the bodies were found, how they were found, because they weren't just nude from the waist down, they were, like, on display. Like, they right. were spread eagle for mm-hmm. the world to see. And, like, in the basically in the middle of a street. I mean, it wasn't quite. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, they were intentionally placed there. Mm-hmm. They knew that they had been killed somewhere else and then dumped there. And But, yeah. again, not just dumped. Positioned. Positioned. And so, they were like, okay, this guy's going to be. Middle-aged guy, looked fairly normal. They said he's going to drive a, an old pickup truck. I can't remember all the other stuff they said. About this time, Veronica Rodriguez, who was 
also a known sex worker. She was well known to police because she was a sex worker that got arrested a lot. She got arrested for drug charges. She always lied to the police. She was known to be flaky. They said that she even had, like, it was almost as if she had dementia because she had used so many drugs. Oh, dang. She said that she and Mary Lou Pratt, the first victim, were working together one night when a guy came up. P.S. Y'all let me know. Is it okay to say John's? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as the clientele. I don't know. I've never heard if it's not. So, I'm going to keep saying it because I don't think it's wrong. And it's just easier of how to identify them. But anyway. So, she says that Rodriguez and and Pratt. She's Mary Lou was the victim. Mary Lou Pratt. That they were working together. A John pulls up. And he wants a threesome. So, they both go with him out to this field in... Like, where Mary Lou usually takes her Johns. Okay. They do their business. Mm-hmm. And then... Do the deed. He plants the seed. Mm-hmm. And the accounts of this are kind of, Some of them are different, but this is one of the ones that I feel like I read the most. But, okay. So, basically, while Rodriguez is getting dressed, Mary Lou Pratt and the John are walking back to his truck when they get in an argument. And... So, he pulls a gun and shoots her in the head. So, Veronica Rodriguez starts, she takes the the fuck off. She's like, get the hell out of Dodge. Mm -hmm. Like, I am out. So, she says that she's like, takes off running. And she goes to the closest house she can find. And it's a guy named Axton Schindler. He lets her in. So, the police didn't really believe her. Mm Mm-hmm. They did a little digging, but not really much. Mm-hmm. Because, again, she was well-known to them. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying. Yeah. Boy who cried wolf. Right. So, in the forensic files, they talk a lot about how, because this killer clearly had a type, mm-hmm. you know, plus size, long brown hair, white women, yada, 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 that the black women who are sex workers Felt pretty comfortable because they're like, cool, we can still go out here and work because we're not as type. And so a month later, March 10th, 1991, Shirley Williams, who was a sex worker, was found dead lying near an elementary school. Oh, fuck. She was a black woman. Yeah. So a waitress found her like propped up against a curb. Her nose was broken. She had all kinds of bruises on her face. She had been shot, like, in the face through the top of her head, and it came out. Oh, my gosh. Um, And she, just like the other two, her eyeballs had been taken out. Mm, mm, mm. He's an equal opportunity offender. Then another witness comes forward. Her name is Brenda White. She is... 37 years old. She is a veteran sex worker. She's been doing it for 20 plus years. And she said that one night she had gotten into an old truck. It was an old white truck. And that one, the the client that she got in the truck with tried to kill her. And that the only reason she got away was because she had a can of mace. And she described him, older guy, salt and pepper hair, you know, kind of middle-aged, old white truck and that is exactly who veronica rodriguez described Mm. like to t they described the same person wow then a third witness came forward and she said 
Okay. The night that Mary Lou went missing, she said it was raining. And we were both standing on the corner together. And it was pouring down rain. Nobody was really, like, no clients were really coming through. So I was going to call it a night. And I had on a yellow rain jacket. And so I took it off and gave it to Mary Lou. So, because she was going to stay out, by, yeah. you know, stay out there and try to make some money. God, that was nice of her. Mm-hmm. And she said, but I know where, like, I know the field that Mary Lou usually takes her John slash clients to. Mm-hmm. Let me take you there. Let's see if we can find anything. Because, again, like I said, we knew that we, <laughs> as part of this, we know that they weren't, they were dumped. They weren't killed where their bodies right. were found. And so they go out to, the field and when they're out there looking around the girl goes that's my rain jacket and they find the yellow rain jacket oh my gosh so they take it in they look at they look at it for evidence and they find blood hair and semen but then they find this hair that they're like the fuck is this hair and on forensic files they showed it under the microscope and it was very different than a human hair and they're like, what the fuck is this hair? And so, like, they're trying to figure it out. So, meanwhile, they're kind of going back to, okay. It was a fucking owl. No. So, they're kind of going back to, like, okay. Clearly, Veronica Rodriguez was onto something. You know, even in her mm-hmm. kind of delusional state, like, she was onto something. Because now we have two witnesses and also that, well, really three, because that third witness also saw Mary Pratt get into an old white truck. Yeah. Which I will say, for those of you who are like, hold on, that doesn't make sense. If Veronica Rodriguez was supposed to be with Mary Pratt, I agree. It doesn't, the, the I don't quite understand how that yeah, played I out either. That too. Uh, yeah, I don't quite understand how this played out, but sorry, I don't know. I don't, I don't yeah. get, I don't get all the details. So they go back to, you know, where Rodriguez went when she first ran. Okay. She says she ran. And if you remember, she ran to... Schindler's house. Mm-hmm. Axton Jackson. I mean, Axton. <laughs> Axton Jackson. That's not his name. I just made it up. <laughs> Axton Schindler's house. And so they start to look into him because, you know, he's kind of an older guy. And they're like, uh, okay, well, is this him? You know, did she actually go back to her... Fuck. You know, was it like scary movie style? So they're yeah. like, okay, let's let's kind of look around. You know, they figure out what's going on. But they were like, wait, his driver's license and all doesn't have him actually as the person who lives here. The house is actually owned by a former high school science teacher by the name of Charles Albright. Oh, fuck. And so... Since the property was right there by kind of the dumping grounds in that area, they were like, hmm, okay, let's look into them. Because who is this Charles or Charlie, which he went by Albright, mm-hmm. and look at his driver's license. He's salt and pepper hair, middle-aged. Uh, like, let's look into him a little bit more. Yeah. So they take basically a lineup of pictures to the witnesses mm-hmm. and they're like mm, that's him and they point to charles charlie. yeah charlie albright so at this point they have enough evidence to search the house so they search the house search the house they ended up getting the remnants from the vacuum cleaner Ooh. too like just to see like 
we're going to cover everything. Like, did they clean the house up because they weren't finding yeah. blood and all of that? Like, there's there's nothing here showing that a crime committed here. Let's see if they cleaned up. Let's check the vacuum cleaner. Oh, that's smart. When they checked the vacuum cleaner, they found a hair that they were like, what the fuck is this hair? Oh, my gosh. And so they compared it to all the different types of, like, animals because they're like, it's not human. Yeah. Because, like, the middle, sh- like, shaft thing, I keep wanting to call it the medulla, but I don't think that's what it is in the hair. But then it goes all the way down the center. It was, like, triple the size of a human one, you know. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, it's not a dog. It's not a cat. It's not a rabbit. It's not, you know, all these different animals. Well, taxidermy. Ended up, it was a squirrel's tail hair. Oh. Not a squirrel's hair from their paw. Not a body. A tail hair. Fluffy. And it was the exact same hair that was on the raincoat. Yep. So, yeah. the So, they were saying that, like, the removal of the eyes was, like, so precise. They were like, that's not even something a surgeon knows how to do. Like, it's so precise. They figured out, I think it was on Susan Beth Peterson, that in the, like, occipital bone, Mm -hmm. a poke from an X-Acto knife. So, they figured out that an X-Acto knife was what was used to cut the eyes out. But they were saying that, like, basically, you would have had to, you have to go, like, under and behind the eye to make that cut to where you didn't mess up the eyelid and that you were able, like that the person who did it was able to position the eyelid in a way that even the medical examiner did not know that the eyeball was missing until she opened the eyelids and was like, hold up. Yeah. So they're like, this is not, again, this is not a skill that a surgeon has. There was some kind of figurings that the, murderer might have an obsession with the exacto knives mm. and so also when they searched the house they found like a smorgasbord of oh, of exacto knives and that kind of thing and um, he had to find one that was exacto right oh my god <laughs> get out of here so he used the exacto knives that he used in his taxidermy mm-hmm. and that's why he knew how to do the eyeballs because yeah. I mean, that's what he yeah. had been doing, you know, since he was, like, a teenager when his mom bought him the... Buttons a squirrel. Yeah. yeah. It was like a like a mail-order taxidermy course that he took uh, with his mom. Yeah. And so, that's how he learned how to basically pop the eye out of its socket wow. without damaging the tissues that surrounded yeah. it. Wow. And so, he ended up being charged with four murders... But he only went to trial for Shirley Williams' death. The case was pretty much all circumstantial. I mean, really and truly, the only things that they had were the eyewitnesses choosing him. You know, him matching the profile or or the profile that the profile had set. Yeah. Because he did. He matched it to a T. And that squirrel tail hair. Yeah, the tail feather. Yes. Which I thought was so funny because... When you said, and when you were doing your story, one, Arkansas, and two, you said squirrel, too. Yes. Yeah, which is why I really laughed. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I also laughed because it's funny, but I was also like, oh, my God. (laughs) He was found guilty, and he was sentenced to a life sentence. 
He's in his 80s now, and he is still in a psychiatric hospital, insisting that he has not killed anyone and never touched a human eyeball. Oh, my God. So that's that. That's old Charlie Albright. Wow. The taxidermy eyeball killer. No, he really is known as the eyeball killer. Like, in the the press, like, it had kind of become a thing, you know, that they were like, oh, hey, we've got, you know, these murders that's clearly it's these... Two women that look alike. Um, yeah. But they had kept the eyeball business out of the press. Well, a detective leaked that there had been, like, severe facial mutilation. Mm. And so that's when, like, the press went nuts with it. Yeah. And really kind of ran with it and stuff. So it was a big it was a big story. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's the eyeball killer Ooh. that I chose just for you. Mm-mm-mm-mm. You didn't get as grossed out by it as I thought you would. Well, I had already had dismemberment on my brain, so True. it wasn't that much. But you know what I think about when I think about that? Red Dragon, when he put mirrors in their eyes. Did you ever watch that? I did, but I don't remember that part. Mm-hmm. And it freaked me out. But, oh, <laughs> I don't know what's worse, seeing an eyeball or seeing not an eyeball. I'll tell you what's worse. Not seeing an eyeball when you're expecting an eyeball. True. That true, trumps true. them all. Yes. If you know there's not an eyeball coming at you, you're good. <laughs> be like, okay, do you think she's going to be blue-eyed or green-eyed? Okay, let's see. Oh, she no-eyed. Yeah. There ain't nothing there. Uh, what happened was... There used to be an eyeball, and, and now it got ain't. scooped out. <laughs> oh, what was that? Um, it's a cherry on top. No, there was a. Wasn't there a serial killer that would use, it, like, literally use a melon ball scoop to get the eyeballs out? <gasps> or did I make that up? I don't know. I want to say there was. Oh I may have made that up. I don't know, y'all. I have the worst memory on the planet, and so I can't even remember if I saw stuff on Criminal Minds and it was fake, or it was on ID, and I was like going to sleep and watching it. You know. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh-uh. I swear somebody used a melon scoop for eyeballs oh one my time. God. Yeah. Don't cover that person. This has been enough. Or will I? No, Ooh, I'm just kidding. I. I uh, <laughs> but also, I don't know why I have this voice right now. I've been having some what I thought was allergy trouble, but all of a sudden, like, I don't feel like my voice was like this during your story. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, hello. <laughs> it me. Okay, what did we learn? Donna still hates eyeballs. Yeah, still hate those eyeballs. But she loves a melon baller. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even. <laughs> it didn't even have anything to do with my story, and it still got gotcha. you. Yes. Oh. Okay, two. Love sucks. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie hates any PDA. Oh, it just makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> no, really and truly. It does. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely, but okay. we can come up with better, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, number one. No, I like my number one. What was it? Eyeballs and melon baller. Uh, <laughs> so number two would be, we can see that you have got to be in a good place yourself, and you have to take care of yourself before you can be in a stable relationship. With someone else. Like, you don't have to have it all together, but you have to be working on it, Mm. I guess. You know what I mean? Like, their demons, their inner demons, Mm -hmm. 
just had that, it was a terrible foundation. And then with all of their, their lifestyle Mm -hmm. amplified it. True. But it's like, you can have someone who is in a state like them and you can be in a relationship with them, but you have to kind of like, I feel like they would call it quits and then get back together and be like, oh, we love each other and it's all perfect. And they just kind of ignored the toxicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that doesn't, it doesn't always end in murder, but it never ends well. Yeah. Three, taxidermy is creepy. It sure is. And with buttons for eyes, even creepier. Look, my brother-in-law has two deer hanging on his, in their living room. Mm-hmm. This motherfucker's following me everywhere. <laughs> Always watching. Your aunt and uncle. Oh, God, no. I can't. Their house <laughs> is like a PETA nightmare. Yes. There is, I, I don't even know what all they have in there. Literally everything. Yes. I mean, literally. Mm-hmm. Not literally, but practically. Yes. Name an animal. They got it. <laughs> Fox. Done. Deer. Moose. Blank. Things from Africa. Yeah. They've been on. Well, anyway, that's that's a whole that's like. Whole, yeah. That's like a whole. We understand everybody has different opinions on yes. shoot them up in Africa. <laughs> so far. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Oh, for sure. They're going to do them. You do you. We're not taking a stand. <laughs> I don't take a stand on any of that shit because I don't do that shit. Mm -hmm. I just say, no, no, I don't want to see anything. You know what? I had a patient earlier that had a damn flexor tendon injury on his hand because he was skinning a deer. Mm. Knife slip. Ooh, fuck. By tendons. That deer got him. That deer said, you got me. I'm going to get you. (laughs) You got got. (laughs) The only stuff, like, the only animals I like are, like, my little woodland creatures I got from a tree for mm-hmm. ornaments. Like, and they're miniature size. So, I get that they're, those weren't real. Yeah. Ever. I don't want, like, I am not one of those people. And if you are, that is fine. If you like taxidermy and shit, good for you. Have it wherever you want. Not in my house. Not in my house. Not where I can see it. Please, if I had to come over, don't be having buttons out, okay? Because (laughs) I don't want to see that. I have friends who have had their animals cremated, though. Mm -hmm. Now that, I can get behind. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have my mama and my sister. I mean, may as well add an animal. I mean, I'm not above that, but... Well, all your animals are out in your yard. Mm-hmm. I've really never had an animal of mine die. Like, we had a dog growing up, but he was one that would run off sometimes, and he just ran off one day and never came back. Like, you know, he, like, yeah. ran off, I think, to die and mm-hmm. never came back. So We've had a few animals like that, but majority. Of- yeah, I've never had one of mine, like, actually die at my house, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay. Animal death is hilarious, apparently. (laughs) All right. So, my outside dog, well, my dad's outside dog, Retta, she died. And so, my brother and, well, my brother buried her in uh, where, like, my pool used to be. And I am in a golden doodle 
Facebook group and they <laughs> they had posted this video that I thought was so funny because it's a white golden doodle and it was in a big mud puddle. I don't know why I thought this. I took a screenshot mm-hmm. of this dog in this big mud puddle. To be and, like, send it to us to be like, oh my God, look at this white dog yes, in this mud puddle. But they had no context because I took a screenshot of a whole fucking video. Yeah. And so I sent it and Tiffany thought, because she was there when they when my brother buried Retta, and she thought it was Retta. <laughs> Like, coming up from coming the earth. Because it had rained. It had rained. But she was like, uh, and I was like, why not I would not send a picture of that? Yes, you would. I mean, I probably would. But two, like, I was like, no, it was a white dog. Okay, so it was really funny, but it was a video. And I don't know why I took a screenshot of a fucking video. And then gave us no context. No context. <laughs> But it was so funny that, of course, Tiffany, fucking angel of death, goes to the dead dog. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Perfect segue. So Tiffany and I hung out and we were talking about shows that she now watches that I don't watch anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you motherfucker. Every time, like, I've tried to get her to watch certain shows so I can have someone to talk to about it. Mm-hmm. She hasn't done it. And now that I don't watch it, she's like, you motherfucker. Well, She's back to watching The Walking Dead, and I'm, like, not watching it anymore because I don't have time. But we remembered something because, again, Angel of Death. Mm-hmm. We we were at my house, and it was me, my brother, and his brother-in-law, and they were fixing Marley's pen. And Timmy just happened to be there. So we were all talking about The Walking Dead, and she's like, uh, have they killed Glenn off yet? And I was like, <gasps> no. Like, they wouldn't kill him off. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they teased that they would, you know? Yeah. And that night is the night that they had killed him off. Damn. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, if you haven't watched that, but if you haven't, I mean, it was, like, two years ago. So, get with the program. But... That's another person that she talked about that night. Because I remember... Yeah. Watching it that fucking night and, like, that happened and I was like, Tiffany fucking killed Glenn. Like, out of the blue, like, why did we talk about this? Yes. And then she uttered those those words and that's the key words, I think. It's like, I can't believe so-and-so's still alive. Yes. They're going to die. They haven't killed blah, blah, blah off. They're going to die. Yes. Like, if she says those words, you're done for. Hang it up. Make sure your wheel's intact. Mm-hmm. You gon' die. R.I.P. Gizmo. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.